like that. Uh, welcome. I'm really glad to see all of you here who, that, that are here. I want to welcome those online. I know we have uh, some friends joining us from Granite Falls Gen Care and want to say hi to them as, uh, as they become part of Arbor Extended out there. And um, Allison was giving hellos to everybody around the globe. Our, one of our lead coffee makers, Maureen, it's her birthday today. And I want to say happy birthday to her because she's traveling too. So uh, there we go. Now we're going to jump into this thing on changes. But before we do, would you pray with me and just ask God to open our hearts and minds? Lord, thank you that you care so much for us that you died for us, that you literally gave your life for us. And so we so much want to be able to hear from you today. So we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us, that you would speak to us, that as we're looking at your word, it would come alive to us. And that because we're doing that and we're experiencing it today, that we would open our hearts and minds and be willing to change in the way you direct us to. So thank you that you're not just able to do that, but that you want to do that. So help us to receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start today. You know, this whole changes, idea of changes came about thinking of people in the Bible who had huge changes in their lives. And when they had these changes, what happened to them and what principles can we learn from it for our life of faith currently? So that's kind of where the concept came from. And to me, it's been a really fun one and one that we can continue on for a long time. This morning, the event we're going to look at is actually carried in three different gospel writers. The three different ones reported on it. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 to 34. Mark 5, verses 1 to 20. And Luke 8, verses 26 to 39 all carry this story. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what those are. Those are also, um, I think we, we forgot to hand out the fill in the blanks, didn't we? Uh, we did. So, But they're also on that, or write these down, because here's what, what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to share with you the story primarily from Mark chapter 5, and there's Mark 5, the first 20 verses. Uh, but I want you to know it's also in Luke 8 and Mark 8, and I want you to know that so that you can go back and read these things, because when I share it with you this morning, I'm going to share it with you primarily from Mark chapter 5, but also kind of from Cliff's perspective, okay? So I'm going to tell you what I see between the lines. I would, I hate to make this a pithy joke, but if I don't, Alex will. So I'm going to kind of give you the Cliff notes on it, okay? Our, 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 so I'm going to give you the Cliff's notes or Cliff's perspective on what this looked like. So you need to check it and make sure that I'm accurate and you can read it from all three of those places to determine that, okay? Here we go. It was the strangest thing, the strangest thing. He was experiencing a moment of lucidity where his mind seemed somewhat normal. He was actually thinking for just a moment his own thoughts, thoughts that were his, whereas mostly, at least as of late, the only thoughts he had were troubled thoughts, tormented thoughts, actually demonic thoughts. He tried to remember how he had come to this place. Where had it really begun? He couldn't remember a particular instance or situation when he began to open the door of his own spirit, of his own self to, to demonic spirits, but it had happened. And, and at first it was, 
It was just weird. It was kind of cool in a way because it seemed like he could control the coming in and the going out of the demonic possessions. But, but now, it was no longer at will. Now they, the demons, would suddenly and violently possess him. He would scream, froth at the mouth, go insane, and destroy everything around him or any person he could put his hands on. He'd cut himself with stones, abuse himself and anyone else in whatever way he could. They tried to resolve it. They tried tying him up, first with ropes and then with chains, but he would break them all. And in the process, he would leave his wrists and ankles bloody and raw. But at the time, he would feel no pain. The pain would come later. And now, it had finally come to this. He'd been chased from his home. He'd been chased from his town, left to roam the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. His only refuge there was to find some kind of refuge in, in the holes that they had hewn in the hillside where they buried their dead. And so there he was, living among the dead, feeling dead to himself. There were no places for the mentally ill. There were no places in sane asylums for people who were off of the rails. There was nobody to help him walk through that in that place. And so there he was. His hair was matted and tangled. His naked body, a mass of scars and open wounds. The smell of him, ah, it was so bad that it made the, the pigs who were feeding nearby on the hillside actually smell pleasant. Everyone, everyone was afraid of him. It was difficult to even recognize him as a human. And at this day, this particular day, he was looking out from his perch on the hillside over the Sea of Galilee, clinging to that tiny shred of sanity. And he was watching a storm develop down below. He could see the clouds coming together. He could see the lightning flashing through it. It was kicking up wind on top of that, on top of that sea. And the waves were frothing wildly. And he was looking down on that as a lightning flash. And as he watched, he felt the, the demons inside of him suddenly begin again to take control. And he began to laugh heinously and then scream at the storm. His body trembling and contorting, he had once again become a human beachhead for demons. And he was completely possessed by them. And then as he watched and looked down, suddenly, even more suddenly than the storm had come up, it just stopped. It just plain stopped. And the cloud that was down over that began to come up off the water a little bit, and a boat appeared. And a boat that was heading toward shore slowly, inexorably toward shore. The demons inside of him were raging mad now. They threw his body down. He cut himself with stones. He threw the stones at the sea, screaming, yelling, screaming some more. The boat just kept coming toward shore. That was his territory. Nobody came into that territory. And so he began to get more and more angry. He was going to kill. He was going to maim. He was going to destroy. And then the boat landed and men began to get out. 
In a demon-possessed rage, he screamed, cursed at them, and began to run down the hillside full speed to tear them apart. He would destroy anyone who would dare approach him. And as he got closer, he could see that they were already cowering. <laughs> Except for one man. He stood there calmly, watching him come down the hillside, heedless of the danger around him. He ran recklessly toward him. Like a warm front hitting a cold front, the forces of good and evil collided. Infinite good and incorrigible evil coming together. And as he got closer, the man who was standing calmly said, you evil spirit, come out of that man. He found himself plunging to his knees at the man's feet. He looked up and the demons inside of him screamed, what do you want with me, son of God? Inside of him, he realized he, realized he had no control. And the man looked at him and said, not to him, to the demons inside of him, what is your name? And he heard, he heard the demons inside rasp, my name is Legion, for we are many. He thought to himself, that many? He knew a Roman legion were 6,000 soldiers. Is that how many actually possessed him? How many there really were? And then he heard the demons inside of him begin pleading for this Jesus, not to throw them out into the abyss, but to allow them to go somewhere else, perhaps even into the herd of pigs who were nearby. Who was this that wrought such fear to those inside of him who had feared no one before? Their request was granted, and they were sent out of him in a rush into that herd of pigs that were feeding nearby, over 2,000 of them. It was like he was vomiting out all the filth and bile and wretchedness and ugliness and evil that had been accumulating over all of the years, just poured out of him. And for the first time that he could remember, he felt clean, really clean on the inside. He was free. And he couldn't help but begin to worship the man that he knew must be God in the flesh. And then he, along with everyone else, watched those pigs go crazy. I mean, when the demons entered them, they began squealing bizarrely and then running out of control toward the cliffs. And they didn't stop when they got there, right off the edge of the cliff into the sea where they drowned. The pig herders freaked out and ran back into town. He didn't remember where the clothes came from, but he knew that before long he was clothed and listening to the man named Jesus, the one who had saved him, his Savior and his Lord. And every word that came out of his mouth, he remembered it. He owned it. It changed completely what he was about. He learned what you and I should understand, that a relationship with Jesus changes our purpose, changes our reason for living, changes our perspective. And his relationship with Jesus had just completely spun his around. 
Meanwhile, those pig herders told the townspeople what had happened. And before the day was out, the townspeople came rushing out to the seashore. They hardly recognized him. I mean, the one who had all the demons thrown out. And when they did, they didn't know what to do with him. They were kind of afraid of him. And then the townspeople began to beg Jesus as intensely as the demon's head not to be sent somewhere. They began to beg him to leave, to leave the region. Jesus never stays where he's not welcome. Jesus never stays where he's not welcome. Are you welcoming him in? Have you made a place for him? Maybe you wonder why, where is he? I don't sense him. Is he welcome? Have you invited him in? Because if you have not, or if you've held him out, he will do with you like he did with them. He honored their request. He began to leave. But now another man, the, the, the one who had all the demons thrown out of him, he began to beg Jesus. He said, I want to go with you. Let me go with you. I want to learn from you. I, I want to be a disciple of yours. I want to I be around you. I want to get all the information that I can get from you. I, 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 I love you. I want to be there. I, I want to follow you. Oh, how he longed to spend time with Jesus, this man who had freed him. But Jesus said, no, no. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Wow. So there he stood on the seashore as he watched them get in the boat and pull off the shore. And he stood there watching them and as the boat got smaller and smaller and smaller till he could hardly see it anymore. And then, and then he turned to go, to go home. Home where, where he had gotten his family so afraid of him. Home where they had finally ousted him for their own safety, home where they would ultimately welcome him back again. A changed man. Oh, I tell you what, he couldn't keep from telling people the wonderful thing God did for him. In fact, he had phones going off just so people would know about it. <laughs> And by the way, he didn't stop with his home. He got home, and when the family opened the door to them, he told them what God and what Jesus had done for him, and then he went from the house to the village, and then he went to the next village, and the next village, and the next village, until the Bible tells us that the entire Decapolis, that means 10 cities around there, had heard all about what Jesus had done for him. Wow, what an evangelist he had become. How much Jesus changes our purpose for living. 
changes our purpose completely from being all about ourselves, from being all about something else, from being all about evil, from being all about what we can accumulate, from being all about how great we can be to being on our face and saying, Lord Jesus, it's about you, what you've done for me. Man, what, what, what an amazing story, huh? I, I am in awe, but it leaves me in a place where as I think about it, at first I'm just going, this is so cool. Look at God's power. There is no evil that can stand against our God. Amen? There is no evil that can stand against him. He isn't threatened by that in the very least. And I get so excited about that story, but then all of a sudden I stop and I think, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And it makes me want to ask Jesus a question. And I don't mean this with any disrespect, but it really, it begs a question, does it not? It makes me want to say, Jesus, wait a minute. Hold on. Really? Really, Jesus? You cast a legion, over 6,000 or more demons out of that man, and the very same day, you're going to announce that he's an evangelist and send him out to tell the story? What is wrong with you? Wait a minute. He hasn't gone through seminary. Wait a minute. He hasn't been a disciple of yours for any period of time. Wait a minute. He hasn't sat under your teaching for a long time. What are you doing, Jesus? Oh, friends, listen to me. We've got to take a lesson from this. Jesus isn't concerned about your education. He's concerned about your heart. Is your heart headed toward him? Has he made a difference in your life? Has he changed your purpose for living? That's what he's concerned about. If we stick with the world's criteria for stuff, Man, I'm telling you, we handcuff so many people that Jesus wants to use. And if you're one of those people that have been handcuffed because you think you don't have enough education, because you're concerned that somebody hasn't tutored you enough, because you haven't been going to church long enough, listen to me, my friend. If Jesus Christ has changed your purpose for living, you are to tell the story. You see, your history is there for his story. That's what it was for the demoniac. The demoniac's history of being a guy who was filled with thousands of demons became his history, <sighs> which is a tremendous place to begin to, to tell the story, his story, Jesus' story of his grace, his goodness, his lavish love toward us. I become concerned with what we tend to do to create a hierarchy at churches or places where we want to restrict people or decide who should or shouldn't be able to share about Jesus. Here's the thing. I began to think of the, the Bible, and I thought, let's, let's put ourselves, all of us, on the same team a minute. We're, we're the panel. We're the panel, and we're going to look at these potential people that are coming to do ministry, okay? And we're going to grade them. And we're going to decide which one should be able to and which one shouldn't be able to. So we're going to look at the problem that would cause possible elimination. So here's a problem. We'll look at, we'll look at some from the Old Testament. We'll look at some from the New Testament. And then we'll look at, at even today, okay? So here's one from the Old Testament. Here was the problem, the possible problem. He got drunk and naked. He got drunk and naked. Now, probably you and I would think, you know, probably not a good guy to be in ministry. Huh? Not a good guy to be engaged for God. And so we, we might say, you know, that guy, he didn't qualify. Who would we be eliminating? Anybody? Noah. Noah. We'd be eliminating Noah. 
We'd just be saying, well, no, no, you're not good enough. Or how about this guy? He had a speech impediment. He was, this is from the Old Testament too, a speech impediment. He was a poor communicator and he wasn't even very enthusiastic. Moses, Moses, we would have eliminated Moses. Oh, this guy comes now from the New Testament. He was socially awkward. He was eclectic. He was a little bit of a recluse. He ate bugs and he hung out in the desert. John the Baptist, John the Baptist, we would have eliminated him. How about this guy? He, he's from the Old Testament now, huge mood swings, dealt with depression, actually was suicidal at times. Who? hold on, dude, who? Jeremiah, Elijah, Elijah, that great prophet who suffered from depression, who said, actually said, God, take my life. I'm tired of living. God says, yeah, yeah I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you yet. Wow. How about the guy from the New Testament that seemed to doubt everything? Unless I can see it, I ain't going to believe it. Thomas, we would have eliminated Thomas. The people from India will tell you that they believe Thomas was the one who brought the gospel to India. Oh, so God used him that way too. How about this guy from the New Testament? He, uh, he was brash. He was arrogant. And then he, I didn't even get a chance to say he denied Jesus three times. And somebody says, Peter, yes, Peter, Peter. All right, this one, give me an Old Testament, give me a New Testament, and give me a current day, okay? Been in trouble with authorities. Been in prison. Old Testament? Old Testament, Joseph, Jeremiah, some of the other prophets wound up in prison. New Testament? Somebody already said Paul. Somebody already said Paul. Peter, Silas. Barnabas, some of the other guys, some of the other guys who are all in prison. How about today? Cliff. <laughs> I was hoping somebody would say Chuck Colson. I wasn't going to cop that quickly. Cliff would have been eliminated for ministry because of our history. And Jesus comes and says, I've come to turn your history on its ear and to use it to tell my story, his story. Our relationship with God changes our purpose, friends. And then our history becomes the very reason to tell about his story. Now, you know, there is a, the prophet Jeremiah. We mentioned him because he'd been in prison also. He said something very profound in Jeremiah. He said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When Jeremiah said that, he was talking about the heart of someone who has not been redeemed. He was talking about the heart of that demoniac who wanted to kill people and maim people and destroy people. He was talking about the heart of any person who has not been redeemed and cleaned. How do we get redeemed? How do we get redeemed? Jesus redeems us. Jesus, by accepting the price he paid for us. And when that happens, our hearts are no longer deceitful and desperately wicked. They are redeemed, they're cleansed, they're pure, and they are contrite. God is most concerned with your heart experiencing him. So the question I like to ask is, are they headed toward Jesus or away? Where's their heart calling them to go? In 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's the heart we're talking about. David would write about it this way in Psalm 51.17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. 
In other words, God loves our hearts when they're like that. He won't despise them. He'll receive them. He accepts them. He's looking at our hearts. And once he looks at our heart and our hearts are moving toward him, I love the fact that Jesus keeps the requirements simple. He keeps the requirements so simple, he tells this demoniac, nope, you can't even go and learn more with me right now. I just want you to go and be an evangelist right now. The same day he heads out. In Luke 10, verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 22 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. His guidelines are simple. You've got a heart for me. You're a disciple of mine. Go tell people about me. And I'm going to put two of you together. I was thinking about this. And so what he's really saying is, listen, if you want to go on mission for me, I think it's smart that you have somebody else to support you, somebody else to be alongside of you, somebody else to encourage you, somebody else to pray for you. And then you do that for them too. Because the reason that's so important is because sometimes when I'm up, then maybe my partner's not so doing so good and I can be encouraging them. And other times when I'm, when I'm flagging, my partner can say, hey, hang in there, man, hang in there, come on. We gotta stick with our faith here. We gotta stay about what we're supposed to be about. So I'm thinking about that and I thought, wait a minute, Jesus tells this legion demoniac to go and, and he's, he's by himself. Is this a, an exception to what Jesus normally did or is this, am I missing something? And it wasn't until I began to think about that that I remembered, wait a minute, there is more than one gospel writer who shares this story. Matthew shares it, Mark shares it, and Luke shares it. And both Mark and Luke talk about it with just the one guy. But Matthew tells us there were actually two guys there. There were actually two guys who were demons. And that might also say why so many people were afraid to go in that area, because there was two of them. And it says, it says they were so fierce that nobody dared to come close to them. So Jesus, what Jesus did for the one we just talked about, he did for two. And then I thought, oh, Jesus, just like you, you sent them both out. And they had the mission in front of them. And they were able to support and encourage each other in the process to help keep the passion where it needs to be. If you think, I, I'm not sure I am ready to share my history for his story, may I encourage you to ask Jesus for the passion? Ask Jesus for the passion to persist in that. Ask Jesus for the passion to even begin to do that because people with passion persist. People will give you plenty of reasons not to risk. Just remember how much Jesus risked for you. Huh? how much he gave up for you, and then go for it. I want to tell you one other thing. Jesus changing our purpose can be messy. Did you hear that? Jesus changing our purpose can be messy. And the reason I'm saying that is this, and I'm using the word messy very intentionally, because here's what's going to happen. When you begin to share your story for God's glory, when you begin to share your history as his story, what's going to happen is you're going to run up against things sometime. And sometimes you're going to think that you actually failed. And, but I didn't use failure. I said messy. And I want you to, in your mind, to exchange those two. That when you think you're failing because you haven't done something the way you should have, I would suggest that instead that you're just in a messy growth period. Did you know that God often teaches us more through failures than he does successes? Hmm. 
It's been true in my life, and I bet you if you went back and looked at yours, the biggest lessons you've learned have come out of perceived failures, which by themselves, if we've learned a tremendous lesson by what looks like failure, then maybe it wasn't really a failure, was it? It was just messy because we actually learned something from it and became better people because of that. If you can't accept the messiness, here's what you're going to do. You'll retard, you'll, you'll inhibit, you'll slow down what Jesus wants to do in and through you. Because when Jesus works in and through us, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's messy. It's messy. And if you're the kind of person who wants everything lined up and all the T's crossed and I's dotted, you're, you're wonderful for you, but you're missing out on some tremendous opportunities if you just let Jesus have his way. Proverbs put this way, uh, Solomon in Proverbs 14, 4 says, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. Isn't that interesting that Jesus chose to be born in a manger, in a stable, which is messy? In fact, it even smells. If you've ever been in one, you know. It smells, it smells like manure and mess from the animals. Here's the truth, God does great work in unpleasant circumstances. Boy, stop and think about that. God does great work in unpleasant circumstances. That says, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but where God is present, we can invite things that may bring messes in. But God works through the messes in our lives to change our purpose for living. Or sometimes because we get off sideways from where he's told us to go, then he allows some messes in our lives to try to get our attention to move us back where we need to go. And what's the result? At the end of that proverb says, but from the strength of an ox or the mess comes an abundant harvest. You see, it's out of the messes that an abundant harvest come. God shows himself in the midst of your messes. If you'll let him, if you'll invite him, because Jesus won't go where he's not welcome. But if you invite him in, you will see that. And often, friends, I'm gonna tell you, the bigger the mess, the bigger the harvest. It's been through the messiest times of my life that God has revealed his power and his strength. It was after the oxen, if I can, of hardship that walked into my life that the greatest harvest followed. Jesus changes our purpose. I suddenly became a harvester. Luke 10, 2, Jesus says, hey, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth harvesters because the, 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 it's ripe, it's ripe. We need more people to help us in the harvest. And he's inviting you into that same process with him. And then it redefines how we see success. It redefines how we see ourselves. And we begin to see every incident, good or bad, as opportunity to bring Jesus into it. God works in messes. That's a good thing. That means God works in you because you're a mess. I know a lot of you. You know, I couldn't have said that when I first came here. Now I can say that unequivocally. Every one of you I know, 
And those I don't know, introduce yourself to me afterward, would you? I can tell you, you're a mess. He works in you, though. He works with messes, and he works through messes. When we welcome him, when we don't ask him to leave, when we invite him in, then God deploys messes into messes and miraculously brings about ministry and a harvest. A harvest that we get to participate in. It's his harvest. It's his story. And he lets us participate in it. But something has to happen to open the door to that. We have to welcome him in. It has, we have to, we must have a change of purpose for living. If your purpose for living is the same today as it was before you met Jesus, then I wonder if you aren't like those townspeople. Nice to have you here, but we need you to go. You're changing our economics. You're changing what we think is normal. You're changing the way I like my life working. You're changing the order that I want to have in it. And he's saying, yeah, I am. I'm changing everything about you because I am going to take your history and use it to bring glory to me in my story. Are you willing to say, Jesus, change my purpose to what you want it to be? That's my prayer daily, and I hope you are willing to make it yours as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the one who creates in each of us a clean heart. And Lord, some of us need that clean heart just as much as that demoniac did. We have our own sins, our own issues in the way, and we need to ask you to come and to cleanse our heart. Thank you that you are the one who meets us where we are even if we're filled with the most vile things, that you're the one who sets us free from bondage. Jesus, we're asking you to help us be deployed and be willing to deploy others so that we can boldly, boldly take a beachhead that was for Satan and turn it into the kingdom of God. Help us to be brave in the knowledge that, that though there are many demonic presences, you are Lord over them all. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for the disease, the demon-possessed, the depressed, the disheartened, the disengaged to set us free so that we can be deployed for you and your kingdom. Give us the courage to be one of those fully deployed and willing to deploy others so that you might get great glory from all we do and from who you are in us. Thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.